Today, our guest for the second episode of the Weber podcast is Ms. Zorka Kordic, uh, recently appointed as the chief negotiator for EU accession uh, negotiations in Montenegro by the government of Montenegro. Uh, Zorka, I'm particularly uh, happy and honored to have you as a guest, considering that we have known uh, uh, each other for quite some time professionally. And I'm really looking forward to having a conversation uh, with you today um, about strategic planning, policy planning, and why it is important. Is it important for uh, the government? Is it important more for the citizens? And uh, why, to what extent is it important also for the EU accession process? So Zorka, welcome to the second Weber podcast episode. Uh, good morning, Milena. Uh, I was so uh, eager to join uh, actually this, this podcast because I find this tool as a very uh, useful one for actually uh, sharing uh, expert views on these uh, very important issues that you that you pointed at, not only for the EU accession uh, process in general, but uh, for all that the government does during this process, and in particular uh, when it comes to the uh, policy planning, quality of strategies, and uh, all those uh, elements that are actually important for the for the life of, uh, of, of citizens, because it is about good policies, uh, making most of this uh, process, and sharing uh, our views together with uh, uh, civil sector organizations, with, uh, with 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 citizens in, in general. That's why I'm I'm uh, I'm really keen to, to to discuss with you certain of this some of some of these. Uh, uh, points. Thank you, Zorka. I'm really, I'm really happy. And um, before we uh, dig into uh, our topic, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you are now uh, in a new uh, position um, uh, in the government, which uh, is just starting its meant after um, a change of government, which happened after a long time of the rule of one uh, majority in Montenegro. So I'm just curious, uh, what is the atmosphere right now? Uh, if you would, uh, if you would somehow describe it uh, on the scale between uh, enthusiasm and chaos, what prevails right now? I mean, I remember the times after uh, the the re first regime change in Serbia when I started working in the government and. Uh, there was a lot of mixture of chaos and enthusiasm, but those were also exciting times. How is it now in Montenegro? Well, uh, it's difficult to, to to speak in terms of uh, tables, measures, or uh, or notes, uh, even though we have uh, this uh, uh, scale as a, as a standard uh, procedure through country reports uh, coming from the European Commission. So we in the public administration are generally keen <laughs> to speak either in numbers or uh, or to, to give us sort of a, of gradation. But uh, what I would really like to, to, to emphasize is that uh, the, the, re the relationship towards the, the EU accession towards uh, Montenegro uh, has never uh, changed. It actually uh, is now uh, based upon the, this new uh, energy coming from uh, from this particular uh, government setup uh, and the fact that uh, members of, of the government ministers are uh, are uh, experts in their in in their field and that they uh, actually think from the perspective of uh, policy content of how to make most of sectoral policies also uh, in the framework of the, of, the, of the EU accession and also when it comes to, uh, to the EU strategic uh, framework. So 
this is definitely um, a, a sort of a refreshment because now we have uh, now we have uh, uh, a very uh, expert view on new policy proposals, and this is already seen in the expose of the prime minister. The the some specific um, uh, points regarding sectoral policies that um, that will definitely uh, contribute uh, not only for to good solutions in in various public policies for citizens, so in, in various sectors, uh, health, uh, agriculture, uh, environment protection, there are, all, there are many uh, ideas uh, embedded in the, in, the, in the expose of the prime minister uh, too, but uh, the, the, the overall EU accession process now can definitely be reinvigorated by by uh, speeding up some uh, some specific uh, actions that will contribute to the to the overall uh, uh, achievement of of, of, a, of a set of tasks per per chapters horizontally. Okay, and this definitely in in that context sounds like uh, a perfect time then to speak about um, uh, strategic planning, policy planning uh, in Montenegro. Uh, you're somebody who has. Um, let's say, led the reform of the um, uh, strategic planning and policy planning processes uh, in Montenegro for uh, quite a few years. I don't know exactly how many, maybe you can tell me how many years it was. <laughs> Indeed, I'm actually very proud of my uh, team uh, who has now remained to function in the center of government because for almost uh, three years now, we have been uh, uh, working uh, on the quality of government strategies. Uh, we developed a particular uh, methodology that uh, definitely serves as a quality filter for uh, developing policy instruments, for developing strategies that actually uh, have uh, um, this um, uh, outcome-oriented uh, approach uh, as, uh, as the logic behind uh, and as a driver. Can I just ask you for... For our listeners, I think it is quite important to explain what the outcome-oriented approach. I mean, for us as experts, uh, we we know what we're talking about when we say outcome-oriented. But why is it important to have strategies and plans uh, for the system, for the functioning of the government? Uh, why is it important to have uh, strategies which actually are oriented towards uh, outcomes, or if we could call them some longer-term results, uh, observable results, um, uh, rather than just some short-term achievements uh, such as, I don't know, um, passing a law or, uh, you know, achieving some uh, training or something like, uh, like that. Why, why are outcomes, these longer-term objectives, important in strategies? Uh, because actually it is the, it is the essential uh, way of government to talk to uh, its citizens. Because uh, if, if government and line ministries who, who, who develop uh, public policies through strategies, through uh, proposal of, of laws and other public uh, policy policy instruments, uh, what they have to take into account is the benefit for for the for the citizen. So, when developing a strategy in the in the sector of health or uh, in the sector of agriculture, uh, what every government has to take into account is what is it that it actually brings. Uh, uh, to, 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 to the citizens. So this is this outcome 
level that we are uh, actually so so keen to to promote and to embed in our uh, uh, admin public administration uh, culture that uh, strategies are not some uh, papers or uh, political declarations that uh, have an overall uh, general context and uh, say, serve the purpose just of being the nice documents, but uh, that the essence of uh, ev everyday uh, life and the impact on, on, on everyday life is, ex is actually uh, embedded in those very uh, documents that should represent the, 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 the vision of, of uh, government, the vision of, of the state, where we want uh, our country to be, where we want our society to be in three, four, 10 or 20 uh, years fr from now. Of course, that EU accession process uh, I, is an important have, element there. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a little sub-question uh, there to ask you, but I just wanted to mention for our listeners here is, is if they hear some growling or uh, barking, that's my little dog. <laughs> and I think this is, you know, uh, the reality of the COVID times uh, podcast, which we are now unfortunately recording uh, uh, through Zoom. And uh, very often we are staying at home with our pets or sometimes children. So my apologies for some of the background noise, which might be heard on the recording. But I guess that in the new normal, nobody will uh, will really mind and care about those things. But Zorka, I wanted to, uh, to just uh, ask you, so you mentioned that, you know, you have worked on trying to embed uh, this outcome oriented uh, um, uh, approach and making sure that the administration and the ministries, when they design, when they propose their uh, strategies uh, and other policy documents, that they really try to uh, anticipate and I guess also uh, ensure some sort of measurement of these impacts and, uh, and the outcomes for citizens. So what do we as citizens get, uh, get out of uh, uh, the government's activity, our government's actions in any certain policy area? So how, how do you think that the administration is uh, coping with this, uh, with this change of mindset? I mean, we all know, I mean, and I also worked as a civil servant for six years at the beginning of my career. And we all know that sometimes, you know, I mean, or maybe I, even as default, we, got, we get lost in, our, in the details of our work. We get lost in what we want to achieve immediately in order to, to fulfill our job. And it is some, sometimes very difficult to anticipate and even I would say to promise these uh, longer term uh, uh, results and uh, benefits for citizens. So how would you say that the Montenegrin administration is adapting to this uh, new challenge? And uh, what would you single out as the main uh, obstacles in, uh, in uh, making this progress? Because I think this might be important also as some sort of a lesson learned for uh, colleagues from the region who might uh, be listening to, to this podcast at some point. Uh, well, you, you rightly, uh... Uh, said that it's a major change change in uh, uh, in the culture of, of, of administration because uh, this very notion that uh, that the government actually is and should be at the service of its citizens this uh, is a, a slightly uh, different uh, context and and the backdrop against uh, which we all now uh, work not for the sake of better EU integration or for the sake of specific chapters, but really to see how those policies that line ministries propose and embed in the strategies can actually be, uh, be of, of 
of a, of a better quality and uh, how can they produce impact, better impact on, uh, on lives. And uh, uh, it is uh, very interesting what we, what we found, found out while sharing uh, good practices uh, uh, in our network of civil servants for strategic planning, which, which has been used as a, as a, as a, as a platform for, uh, for exchange uh, of experiences and challenges in uh, policy design, what uh, line ministries uh, struggle with when planning uh, specific uh, policy measures? We we actually di di discovered that that beside the fact that uh, uh, in in uh, line ministries we have many experts in the field uh, with plenty of uh, of very good. Uh, and useful ideas of how certain uh, problems in the society can be can be solved. But the the major challenge always remains a budget, which is always a limited one for new policy proposals. So for real to, to have a, a breakthrough in terms of of uh, of uh, uh, those policies who who uh, that will contribute to the to the to the to the, the, the development in in, uh, in certain areas, so uh, it, this remains always a first uh, challenge: how to to think uh, of, of those policy proposals that that might actually uh, work and be uh, implemented in two, three, or four years' uh, time. And then another major challenge is how to measure how to measure the the success. So how to define a specific set of output of outcome or uh, impact level indicators, yeah, and to be honest, whether a, a specific goal can actually be uh, realized in this limited uh, uh, time frame. So it's not about uh, you know, government promises or uh, or any line ministry's promises, but to know your policy well enough uh, to have. Uh, enough uh, resources, human resources, material resources, finances to really achieve uh, a, a specific goal in a, in, a, in a given time span. So these are two, two major challenges. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you in relation to that, um, do we still, uh, and I, I know this to be a trait uh, of the whole region uh, of the Western Balkans uh, that, you know, usually our strategies and plans are much more ambitious than what is actually feasible to do. We are somehow bombarded by requests from the EU accession process, uh, um, political, of course, uh, political um, uh, objectives in terms of, you know, improving the quality of lives of citizens in order to, of course, uh, stay in power, increase uh, vo voters' uh, support, etc. So there are many uh, requests coming uh, towards uh, the administration to over-promising strategies and plans. I remember myself when I was working as this, the, the special advisor of the then deputy prime minister in charge of public administration reform here in Serbia, Skorio Dovički, and I was in charge of uh, designing the action plan for the implementation of uh, the strategy for public administration reform. I was sort of coordinating that whole process. We ended up having an extremely, an extremely um, uh, ambitious uh, uh, action plan uh, because, you know, on the one hand, yes, there was enthusiasm, there was a wish, but then on the other hand, there was 
lack of uh, maybe realization what can be done in a certain period of time with the existing resources, not only financial ones, but also human resources. Indeed. So I wanted to ask you, uh, do you still observe that problem in Montenegro and, and how, how are the ministries and, uh, and uh, government institutions coping with this necessity to be more realistic in order not to overpromise and of course in that sense not to disillusion uh, the citizens when they do not manage to achieve all that they have promised? Uh... I know exactly what you uh, what you mean when you say that everybody is so ambitious and uh, it, not only uh, in planning but in, in, in approach in, in the vision that all those uh, uh, actions are necessary or are required by the EU accession process. So the uh, the administration the administration needs to uh, deliver. So we are more or less all in this. Uh, uh, similar uh, context because indeed many of the obligations stem exactly from the EU accession process. When you come to think, for example, that in the case of uh, Montenegro, uh, opening benchmarks out of 13 chapters per uh, 11 chapters were to, to prepare and adopt a specific national strategy for the alignment of the acquis in a specific sectoral uh, policy. So indeed, many of those uh, strategic documents are a sort of, uh, of, of, of assignment uh, stemming from from the EU integration path. But uh, you uh, emphasized one very important point, and this is uh, human human resources, because uh, it is indeed all the, about the, the never-ending the never-ending problem of the administrations in the region. Because, uh, because yes, ideas are many, uh, but budgeted time can be a, a challenge, but, but uh, the, the, the most important thing is actually to cherish those teams within ministries who can, uh, uh, who can uh, gradually uh, attain new skills, be better in what they do and uh, uh, also have time enough to 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 to, to work uh, on themselves to 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 gain new skills and to really and to really deliver in line with the with the new trends with the new um, uh, and updated uh, EU strategies uh, EU targets. So it's an ever it's an evolving uh, uh, environment, uh, and we and we and we to uh, we need to deliver and we need to take care of, of very specific uh, things you mentioned the public administration reform uh, strategy that you that you worked on it's not uh, a big uh, political declaration uh, paper with uh, with some abstract elements it's uh, something that uh, is very tangible for the life of everyday uh, everyday life of, of, of citizens it's one stop uh, shops for citizens who, who would like to, uh, to have an easier uh, access to uh, whatever paperwork they need from, the, from various uh, line ministries. It's uh, uh, the access to information, e-services, so very uh, tangible uh, elements that, that mean uh, a lot uh, in, uh, in, uh, in everyday life.
indeed uh, and uh, when when we speak about uh, human resources i would i would assume that especially in a small country such as montenegro losing one uh, experienced civil service civil servant uh, who knows how to implement uh, strategic and policy planning is a loss of several years of investment so i was wondering to what extent continuity is being ensured now after the the change of uh, of the government in montenegro uh, uh, we know that, you know, sometimes in the region, uh, when the government changes, somehow, you know, half of the administration immediately changes and then you end up with a huge gap, which you cannot uh, cover for months or sometimes even years. Uh, what is the trend you are observing now? I see that you're, you're still there. Uh, your team uh, with whom you worked in the General Secretariat is still there. These seem to be positive, uh, the positive trends. Uh the the major the key principle of uh, this government has been clear from the very beginning and this is knowledge and expertise are to be cherished promoted and given a, a chance so these are the expectations that, that that will apply across line ministries it is true that some of the uh, some of the managerial positions uh, for the time being are uh, uh, vacant in uh, in the line ministries, but in general, the the in particular when it comes to the to the EU accession process, it uh, it has so much been already uh, embedded in in the system, the the, the practices, the knowledge, the the fact that uh, in uh, many uh, sectoral policies, uh, Montenegro needs to behave as a full fledged uh, member state of the of the EU. There are uh, pieces of legislation that, that have been um, prepared and, and adopted uh, in line with the evolvements of the of, of the acquis in in various areas, uh, environment, agriculture, transport policy. So uh, this is a, an ongoing process led by those people, by civil servants uh, and experts. So this needs to be preserved, uh, cherished, and uh, and uh, these people need to be also stimulated to to to, to keep uh, working. One very particular uh, challenge uh, and a skill that we still need to develop behind uh, this set of strategic planning skills that we really in the last couple of years try to via various mechanisms, and I mentioned networks of, of civil servants for strategic planning. Uh, another uh, very important uh, skill is, uh, is the skill of um, preparing uh, mature projects so that we can absorb more, more available EU, EU funds. And uh, the, the major topic ahead of us is how to combine policy design and policy making and those people who are involved in, in drafting strategies with programming uh, officers and those who are still seen as IPA people doing something on projects. So we have to really uh, uh, think of uh, combining the two because it's, uh, it's uh, actually the policy design that needs to guide and steer the work of those who, who do the programming, the preparation of specific projects, so that we can be even more successful, more successful uh, when it comes to using EU, EU funds.
And you, you have inspired me here to ask you um, uh, a slightly different but still related question, uh, which is important, I think, also uh, quite, uh, quite a bit for us in the civil society and in the Weber project, because we are trying to apply uh, a similar approach. You mentioned the new EPA and the increasing the capacity to prepare good projects. And we know from uh, the European Commission that the idea is that the new EPA will sort of be more competitive, that it will not contain uh, country allocations. Uh, so specified pots of money for each of the countries in the Western Balkans, but that, that in fact it will be one big pot of money uh, where countries will in a way compete with good projects uh, to withdraw more or less uh, of that. In such a system, of course, those that are uh, uh, more skilled, that have a better capacity uh, and uh, that are actually managing to do exactly what you said, to connect better their uh, policy plans and strategies with the specific projects they're proposing will be more successful and will be able to withdraw more money and uh, have a greater impact and uh, benefit for their citizens in the end, because this is what EU projects are uh, supposed to be for, improving the quality of life uh, of all of us living in the region. Uh, so um, in that sense, to what extent do you believe that this kind of co positive competition and positive sort of peer pressure between the governments um, uh, can have an effect and can really uh, function in the region? We have tried to apply something like that within the, the Weber project, comparing the countries against a certain set of uh, criteria and then benchmarking them and showing, you know, who is doing better on a specific uh, issue than uh, the other countries and, you know, singling out the uh, examples of good practice, sometimes also examples of bad practice. Uh, but we are still unsure how effective this has been. We are still kind of in the middle of evaluation of how effective this approach is. So what is your view? How effective and how, uh, how successful do you expect this new approach of the European Commission to be with IPA? with the instrument for pre-accession assistance, uh, just to mention the full name for the benefit of our uh, listeners. Uh, one thing maybe also to add is that uh, it is the basic principle of the new uh, methodology for the uh, for the accession that, that uh, Montenegro and uh, as well uh, accepted. So it has its positive logic behind because any sort of uh, competition may, may be inspiring for countries, societies, public administration in general. Uh, when it comes to IPA in particular, it is, it is important that this competitive uh, environment uh, goes uh, along with gradual uh, improvement of, of, of skills. Uh, because of course we, uh, we can, we may be compared also by the, by the amounts of uh, uh, funds absorbed, uh, uh, but uh, the, 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 the key uh, uh, principle behind this competitive um, uh, approach should definitely be that, that gradually uh, all the countries involved uh, look at each other uh, and get better in terms of skills, in terms of uh, having better projects, and in terms of having more more quality in uh, in their uh, planning. So from that aspect, mm, uh, definitely I agree that, that, that this com competitive uh, environment can be can be uh, uh, beneficial. Uh, 
I, I uh, have found out now that you have this uh, uh, within your, within your um, uh, um, Weber team, this, uh, this, uh, this approach uh, that, that is, I agree, is a stimulant for uh, not only measuring specific su su success, but really uh, it, this sort of approach can, uh, can help us all uh, analyze better specific uh, elements of our of our uh, actions. So uh, it's not. I mean, this can also work uh, because we in the in the Balkans we maybe like also to boast <laughs> when we are better in something or uh, or uh, more successful. So this can have uh, also a cultural uh, value. Why not? But uh, but I appreciate indeed, and I think that the administration in general should appreciate all those mechanisms that will make ourselves ask questions about ourselves, how to be better, where to work more, what were the errors or so it's a, it's a sort of a re-examination and, and planning how to how to do better certain. Absolutely. Uh, well, um, I have just one uh, last question before we end. Uh, we have spoken a lot about the requirements and requests coming from the EU within the EU accession process. We have not talked much, we have talked a little bit, but not much about the requests and, uh, coming from the citizens and the needs uh, of the citizens. Um, one interesting finding uh, from our Weber uh, monitoring process is, for example, that the that Civil society organizations in the region who we surveyed on a, on a large scale mm -hmm. um, have a, a much better opinion on um, how, um, how different sectoral policies reflect EU requirements and EU priorities than how they respond to actually citizen requests and, and citizen requirements, especially when it comes to reporting to the public. Uh, you know, keeping ministries and the government accountable for uh, to the public uh, for uh, what they are doing. First of all, we ask we ask the organization, do you believe that ministries actually do what they promise to do in their strategies? And then we ask, do you believe that ministries report regularly mm -hmm. to the public on their strategy? Mm -hmm. And the findings were much, much, much more negative on those questions than on the questions related to the EU requirements. And this kind of goes. Uh, in line with some of the, you know, um, uh, papers and the researches which were done in the previous years um, uh, in the region, but also uh, in the EU, which are kind of showing that our governments are very often uh, appear to be more responsive mm -hmm. to what comes from Brussels than to what comes from their own populations. Have you ever felt this to be a problem? And uh, if this is the case, why why does this happen? I mean, we all know that it is impossible that a government which is elected by its own people uh, is actually more responsive to uh, external EU requirements than, than to the requirements of its own people. But why would they still allow this kind of luxury to be more responsive and quicker in achieving um, um, you know, questions and conditions which are coming from Brussels than those which are presented by their own populations and civil societies? This is a very interesting perspective because I have never, as a person coming from from the public administration and from the system, I it's for me it's a maybe different angle of seeing things and 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 it is true that 
probably the, the regularity of reports and the clarity of reports uh, that we prepare at times towards Brussels uh, can appear to be like more frequent or uh, uh, convey this image of being maybe more responsive to the requirements of the European Commission than uh, maybe to the expectations of, of, of the citizens. But it's, for me, it's, uh, it's part of this change in administrative culture that we uh, mentioned uh, uh, in the first uh, place. Uh, and uh, this very notion that uh, the government is and should be at the service of, uh, of their uh, citizens. So uh, what we have already tried uh, by introducing some uh, some mandatory elements both in strategies and in the reports on the implementation of strategies uh, what we wanted to, to to emphasize is that to the skill the skill of administration to explain to the citizens of what are the the, the, the benefits what are the deliveries and what are the the, the benefits for for the everyday life because it is also the skill, the communication skill, that, that maybe uh, people in the public administration uh, lack just because out of specific administ administrative culture, they did not, um, they are not used to uh, communicate it, communicating the, the results to the citizens. And there are, uh, across many sectoral policies, there are uh, many. So we have to definitely do more to, to learn how to re-explain all the good actions and all and those that uh, that are maybe also uh, not so good that, that, that the actions that, that failed, but uh, to, to explain them to to, 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 to citizens. So th this is definitely uh, something that the ad administration in general and the uh, team for the EU accession in particular needs to. To, to, to definitely approach citizens in, in, in a different uh, in a different uh, way. I, uh... Thank you very much for mentioning that. Uh, thank you very much for mentioning that because you know uh, in our Weber monitoring uh, methodology, uh, for many issues that we analyze that we monitor, we are actually analyzing the citizen friendliness of and citizen friendliness. We normally uh, define uh, through two things. First of all, whether the language is somehow clarified from, you know, hard bureaucratic uh, terminology and whether we can observe an effort of the administration to communicate things in, uh, in a language which would be more easily understand, understood by ordinary citizens. And the other thing is, of course, whether it is accessible on the web pages, whether, you know, uh, it is well organized and can be found in the, prop, in the appropriate places. And of course, I mean, in some cases we can observe that there have been trends and um, uh, efforts to make information more citizen friendly, but definitely across the region, we that still the administration very often writes uh, even press releases, uh, not only uh, technical reports, very often they're written in dry and bureaucratic language. And this is something we would really like to kind of stimulate the governments to do, to address us, the citizens, in a more human uh, kind of way, you know. <laughs> uh, this is understandable, but it is, it is a skill. Because it is also a part of a, of a, of a, of a, of a private uh, um, uh, business, business culture. Because uh, when, of course, maybe it's different for the EU accession process, the, the figures are very positive. Uh, in, in Montenegro, the, you know that the, 
in the last um, poll on, on, on public support uh, from this uh, January this year actually showed uh, uh, public support of 76.6% uh, uh, for the uh, for the EU accession and almost 80% of those who have positive attitude toward e EU. So this specific process, maybe we have learned how to how to communicate or to or to, to make a little bit more digestible to to the citizens. But uh, in all those. Uh, policy areas that actually uh, uh, public administration delivers, I agree that we can definitely do more to to explain. To explain, uh, we, we, I agree that we should uh, change uh, uh, instruments, so uh, it's not uh, only uh, dry uh, statements or uh, something like that. Definitely uh, now we have <laughs> plenty of uh, uh, IT platforms, uh, we have podcasts, <laughs> so there's a, an idea to use to use this specific instrument to talk about uh, deliveries in a specific policy. Why, why not? And then, uh, well, one interesting thing that you said: how come we are so responsive to the to the to the Commission? Maybe we we could approach uh, civil sector organizations to to define a uh, this sort of not shadow government, shadow commission platform, but something like some, something that that might uh, incite us to to be more uh, specific or uh, or concrete uh, in in certain areas. Not a progress report, but uh, but uh, uh, with a simple language to to, to re-explain some some good and positive positive results, which is. Which is a very, which is a very good idea, but it also, I have to say, it also uh, makes an additional uh, requirement, an additional responsibility towards civil society organizations, such as mine, such as ours, and thank you, think for Europe Network, um, to actually make sure that when we communicate evidence and uh, proposals and recommendations uh, to the administrations, to the governments, that we can say that we speak on behalf of the people. That we're not just giving our expert opinion, but that we actually speak with the voice of the people. And one of the things we, I can maybe tell you, uh, and uh, and I hope that in in a, in a few months we will already be having some first visible results, tangible results, is that within the new uh, Weber 2.0 project, uh, we are now uh, about to launch uh, in 22 days um, a citizen uh, online campaign, which is actually going to have as its purpose uh, engagement of citizens across the region in um, uh, monitoring and following uh, and uh, uh, let's say giving their opinions and communicating their uh, their expectations towards administrations when it comes to the services when it comes to professionalism of the of the public servants that they interact with when it comes to uh, access to information transparency and all of those issues that actually do uh, concern citizens so we are going to actually try to turn those inputs that we get from the citizens through this wide uh, online campaign uh, and engagement with citizens to turn their voices into policy proposals. And when we address our ministries and our uh, governments with, uh, with some recommendations that we can say, look, so many citizens uh, actually 
thought and said that this is a major problem and that this is something that should be addressed and should be changed. And uh, we hope that this is going to actually give us more credibility and more legitimacy when we act with the government, because it's not about criticism in the end. I mean, everybody can criticize. It's about actually having um, a foundation, a good foundation uh, for what you speak. And civil society needs to be this bridge between in a, in a participatory, modern participatory democracy. It should be this additional bridge between the government and the citizens um, who very often get lost in uh, huge amounts of information. And we all know that, you know, elections are not enough um, when it comes to communicating needs of the citizens uh, to the governments uh, in the modern society. Uh, no, Zorka, thank you. Definitely, uh, just maybe to, to, to add, uh, just as, as a final um, sort of statement that, that, that we, in this EU integration process, we have to count on every single good proposal coming from a single citizen or from a civil society organization or uh, all the stakeholders that uh, actually uh, are part of this society, because only in this way, this EU accession process makes sense. We launched, uh, it will happen probably in the, uh, in the next 10, 10 days, the the overall general consultations with our civil sector organizations in, in Montenegro, how to work with a simple question, what, how to do better things together, how can we be more responsive, like the negotiating structure, the negotiating team, uh, how to communicate better, how to have this structured uh, inputs that you, that, you, that you mentioned. So not just a bare criticism, but how to really address some good proposals and embed them in, in uh, policies. So this is definitely something that uh, uh, this phase of uh, accession uh, requires. So it requires a new level of, of cooperation and uh, civil sector organizations are a key element uh, in, in, in this process, definitely. Thank you, Zorka, for sharing this with us. This uh, sounds like a beginning of a very uh, constructive relationship between the government and, and civil society. And I hope that you know some uh, some other colleagues in the region will also take up uh, this uh, good practice. And I wish you all the luck uh, um, with these consultations, but also with uh, with your future work. Uh, I think Montenegro is now in a good position to be the inspiration uh, for the rest of the region. And uh, I really do wish you all the best uh, in your work. But we in the civil society will also keep uh, scrutinizing and monitoring the work. We promise that. And I think you, you also <laughs> will agree welcome. that this is everybody's benefit. <laughs> Thank you so Very much for joining us today. Uh, and uh, I, 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 I'm sure we will have uh, another chance uh, to discuss maybe in a year or so and discuss about some of the results uh, uh, that have uh, happened in the meantime. Please, even before. Thank you. And good luck to Weber and to And even before. Thank you.